in the steel industry, you're not making pillows, right? So <laughs> you're, 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 it's hard work. The, the environment is uh, hot, nasty, dirty, um, and inherently dangerous, right? So, I mean, you're dealing with, in the melt shop, you're dealing with steel up to 3,000 degrees. Um, you know, everything's heavy. Welcome to Safety Factor. My name is Ben Hanks, and today we're talking about how we can create safer steel mills. I'm joined by Michael Skipper, General Supervisor of Rail Mill Operations at Evers North America, a leading producer of engineered steel products for rail energy and industrial end markets. Mazella's Jim Warren, Director of Steel Segment, and Chris Ross, Mazella Key Account Manager for Steel Sales. Thanks for joining, guys. Thanks. Very well. Glad to be here. Can you guys tell me a bit about your background working in the steel industry? Um, Mike, we could start with you. I've been in the steel business for 18 years. Um, started out as a crane technician. Um, so I've worked with numerous service companies and uh, eventually moved into some maintenance and reliability positions internally within some steel businesses, as in such, Everest Steel here in Pueblo, Colorado. Uh, myself, I've been with Mozilla for a year. Uh, before that, I was at a crane service company for 19 years. Um, serviced steel mills, aluminum mills, paper mills. And then prior to that, I worked for uh, a steel mill for nine years. I spent four and a half years in the rolling mill and four and a half years in the crane department. Myself, uh, 12 years I was in the uh, graphite electro business, uh, production and sales of, of graphite electrodes. And then prior to that, uh, since 1993, I was in uh, with a leading steel, pro with a steel producer uh, in the melting, er melting area, started out entry level in the melt shop and then left as a melting supervisor, 2011. Okay, so what are some of the uh, most significant safety concerns associated with steel mills today? Well, the, the biggest thing that everybody's pushing right now is no touch, right? So they're trying to get, trying to get the people away from the, uh, the, the safety concerns and the safety hazards, right? So um, whether it's no touch tools for lifting and rigging, no touch uh, electrode handling, that kind of thing. That's, that's, that's the biggest thing that I notice right now. No, I agree, I agree. I think, uh, you know, also one of the concerns is, is uh, they're, they're, it's, it's the elimination of hazards. So if you can't eliminate them, then they're trying to mitigate them the best they can. But Jim mentioned with tools, process, procedures that they can use. So what are some of those hazards that we're trying to uh, eliminate or mitigate? I think it's, it's overhead cranes, right? I think it's lifting equipment. I think there's slips, trips, and falls. Uh, hand injuries. Walking, working surfaces, hand injuries, yeah. things like that, right? I mean, it's, we've used quite a bit of the no-touch tools you know, within our facility, and I think that's helped us reduce some of our safety incidents surrounding hands drastically. You know, by keeping the, the team members' hands uh, away from the hazards, right? You're not picking up change. You're not moving the load. You actually have something to push and pull with versus having your hands do that work for you. Yep. One of the, one of the things that um, has always been uh, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, in the steel industry, you're not making pillows, right? So <laughs> you're, 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 it's hard work. The, the environment is uh, hot, nasty, dirty, um, and inherently dangerous, right? So, I mean, you're dealing with in the melt shop, you're dealing with steel up to 3,000 degrees. Um, 
you know, everything's heavy. There's there's yeah. nothing that's not heavy. Yeah, right? everything's heavy. You're dealing with high power, high temps. Um, so you're you're like Jim says, you're you're in a a zone that's uh, inherently dangerous, and you're just. And when you go to, to use it, you want it to be safe the, the first time, right? right? You don't have that second chance or a second opportunity to make sure that you do some correct, right? If yeah. you don't do it right that first time, it could potentially, you know, uh, cause a major risk or impact to you or the, the company or your team. Okay, so speaking of, you don't want to do something a second time. Let's talk a little bit about the history of steel mills. You know, historically, I know that steel mills have not been the safest place. And, you know, in 1970, when OSHA was established, they became significantly safer. Can you walk us a bit through uh, the history of steel mills and how they've improved today to become safer works, workplaces? Well, I can tell you the mill that I worked at in 94, when I started, um, we really didn't have safety, safety harnesses, right? Um, man lifts, you got in a man lift and you just went up, right? Um, if you needed something moved, you just you just grabbed it and moved it, right? There was no um, SOP or, or anything that was a safe procedure to be able to JSAs even, right? Yeah, how, how, how many JSAs do you guys have today versus when you first started, right? Absolutely. And that's something we preach to our, our new hire team members, right? As soon as they come in the door, just and they're going through their, their new hire training, right, is looking for those hazards and what can we do to assess them and mitigate them? Uh, yeah, you're right. And it's uh, like Jim's point. I know that in the early 1990s when I started, it's not that safety wasn't important, but at the time the, the, the push was on for production. I mean, safety was mentioned, safety was discussion, but it was not the pair, didn't have the focus uh, or the push that it, that it really does now. And that's, that's evolved over time. You look at the uh, severity of the injuries uh, dramatically reduced over time just because the refocusing and reshifting to that be safe, you know. I think trainings came a long way too. You know, I, I think years ago, it was not it's so much as a, a forefront right of our mind, right, of making sure that, you know, we trained in forklifts or we trained in cranes or we trained in rigging and you know, you had this small group of training, but nothing as vast as it is now or in depth for that matter. Yeah. Well, then requiring their certifications. The guys yes, have sir. to be signed off. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you're not signed up, you don't do it. If you're not qualified, you don't do it. It's, it's, you know, in the early days of steel mill, you you were just did it. Yeah, you were just <laughs> jack of all trades. I wasn't aware you did it, right? You, there was, you know, <laughs> no, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying in the in the mid '90s it was as bad as before we even had OSHA when you had, you know, there was 30 guys waiting at the gate for a job. You know what I mean? And somebody died, and they were like, "Oh, grab, grab Ben. He bring yeah. him in now, right?" It wasn't that bad, but like I said, it was it was just you just did what you had to do in order to get the product out the door. Yeah, the focus was on yeah. operations, tonnage. I mean, you were focused on tonnage. You wanted to be as productive and efficient and, and no time lost. I mean, and it's it's really been amazing to see over the past, and really specifically over the past five to 10 years, the absolute shift in the industry. And don't, and don't get me wrong though. I mean, it's, I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No. Right. But when I was talking about like JSAs, right, I mean, um, you know, just just over the years that I've spent, 
and the amount of JSAs and the procedures, pre-jobs, right? Pre-job procedures and everything that you go through, lift, lift plans, yes, all that stuff now. But you know what I mean? All that is a good thing, right? Because not only does it help with safety, but it also helps with pre-planning the whole project itself and, and seeing what's going to happen, how long it's actually going to take, how much it's actually going to cost, yep. right? To, to before it was, like I said, get it done. Oh, you need a crane? You need to put the crane up? You run outside, you grab the 65-ton RT, you bring it in the bay, and you pick up whatever it is, and you're like, oh, crap, I forgot to put this. I forgot to put the outriggers out. <laughs> it, was, it was just whatever, right? And I think it came along, too, with the more we understood human behaviors right? and, and understanding exactly, you know, how our brains function and what amount of risk, you know, that we induce ourselves, yeah. right, by not being repetitious in, in how we move or how we operate. Yeah. And, and it goes back to where when you, like Jim says, when you plan these jobs now, when you, when you follow the protocols, you can actually identify potential delays, potential hazards. Right. So you can time your job much better than, than you did in the past where you would guesstimate an eight hour job, not foreseeing, you know, what could happen in that eight hour job becomes 12 because you didn't plan for certain things. It helps a lot with the planning move forward. Yep. So what do you think helped refocus the industry? Like what changed that, sh that mindset? That's a, that's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's one thing that you could look at. Uh, I believe corporations started paying a lot more attention to, you know, lost work time, like days, injuries. I mean, insurances. I mean, I was getting ready to go there with insurance, right? Insurance. It's a huge motivating factor. Insurance, workers' comp, all of those things, exactly. right? Exactly. I think we started to realistically view what that full cost of safety looks like. Yeah. But, but when they started having to record, right. right, record all your numbers and all your data and everything like that. And it, again, I, I'm not saying that companies didn't care about you, but when they started seeing all that data in front of them now. That right? transparency. Yeah. Right. And even in 94, when I first started, we had computers, of course. Right. But we weren't into them the way that we are now. Right. Right. Everything now is 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 logged and, and entered into the system, whatever that is. Right. And then <clears throat> once they see all those numbers and they see, oh, oh, crap, we had, you know, across our organization, we had 200 hand injuries over this last year because we were pushing and pulling. Right. With crane moves and everything like that. That's real data. That's that's live data that's actually happened to their people. And now, when you bring that up to the pe to the to the upper echelon management, now they're like, okay, we got to do something. Well, right? it's it's like society too. I mean, society's become so hooked on analytics. Analytics drives everything. They want to know anything that they can document, anything that they can put numbers to. They're putting numbers to, and and this was a huge push for them as well. To, to document and, and trend, like Jim says, they trend it. And what can we do? Uh, it's not. It's not only as important to be the most productive facility in the world now. It's. It's also a a, a medal or an honor to be the safest. The safest, yeah, for you sure. Know? Yeah, every mill that I. I mean, I can't. Last year, last year alone, I think I went to 20, 26 different mills in the country, right. And every single one of them, I don't care where I was, the first thing you see when you pull into the gate <laughs> is lost time accidents. Yeah. And then how many days it's been since they're recent. Yeah. Most of them were zero. You know what I mean? It's good. Um, 
zero as far as zero accidents, right? Right. But it's been you know you know three hundred days or two hundred days or whatever. So they're 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 proud of that number now because that means that hey, not only do we do we take care of and and pay our people well, but also we're we wanting to make sure that they go home to their families at night. Um, there's a there's a there's a large steel company that that starts with the letter N and every one I go to that they have on, on one of the buildings, now I'm talking the buildings outside, they have pictures of their employees and their kids, right? I mean, that, that, that says a lot. Well, I think that's probably a fair thing, right? Is that the shift was probably largely due to the, the care for people. I think when the care for people changed versus the care for tonnage changed, I think that's where we started getting some of those things where we took pictures where we were proud of our families and proud yeah. of our teammates and proud of the numbers that we achieved on on being safe and going home every day with all of our fingers and things like that. But also in doing that, you're producing. Yeah. Right? Because the safer you are is proven that the, the, the more effective you are at productivity. Yeah. I agree. So what are some of the technologies that are being implemented in steel mills now that's helping make them safer workplaces, safer for the employees. Ooh. I like some of the, the forklift hidden sensors and things like that, right? Where you come around some of the corners and as soon as it picks up on a, a body or, or some type of an object, the lights go off and it flashes and some kind of a, a sound, you know, goes off to let you know that, hey, someone's around the corner or a forklift's coming or something like that. I think that's huge. I can't tell you how many times I've been inside of a shop, right? And you're going through a walkway you open up a swing gate thinking everything's okay. And as soon as you step out, all of a sudden, boom, here comes the yeah. forklift or even a person, right? When you walk into another individual. Yeah. yeah. It happens yeah. more than, than we think about, right. right? And you bring up a good point, too. I mean, you think about it, guys. It wasn't that long ago. We didn't even know what a swing gate was. We Absolutely. didn't know what a dedicated walkway was. Right, right. right? right. We, it, and it's, it's that shift. And then you're also getting into so much... The industry's progressing and the availability of products is progressing so fast to go to automated systems and preventative systems. We've got a number of them ourselves that we, that we can provide so some of the Some of the things I've done in the past, I've, I've put lasers on the crane, right? So they, they're laser indicators on the floor, um, light, light systems that run the whole bridge of the crane, right? So they light up, they illuminate the floor wherever the crane is. Um, audible alarms, yeah. you know, crane 21 moving west. It right. would actually announce, enunciate that throughout the plant. Um, like I said, uh, just different alarms, um, put in limit switches on different parts of the runway that actually lower gates. I mean, there's a lot of automation and stuff like that that can go into this. I think some of the coolest things I've seen in the crane business is some of the uh, electronic pre-shift inspections for the cranes to where they're, they're tied into the crane itself so you can't actually yeah. operate it till you complete that inspection. So you ensure, right, that the team members that are you know, operating these pieces of equipment have went and visually verified that some of these things are safe. You know, not only for themselves, but the teammates around them that are working in that area. So I yeah. think that's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Like I said, the automation is limitless. I mean, the engineering, you young guys are coming up <laughs> with some really cool stuff now. You whippersnappers. <laughs> and Jim, you mentioned the no-touch systems before. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about like what, what exactly are those and how do they work? Yeah, so um, with lifting and rigging, we'll start there. So, um, you know, you have push-pull tools, 
right? They're basically big hooks and they can be various lengths. And that's so you can keep your hands, uh, hands away from, uh, you know, heavy objects, right? So if you're, if you're picking something up with an overhead crane, a forklift, anything, right? You would utilize these no-touch tools to reach out, grab that piece of equipment. So now it's putting distance between, um, you know, soft flesh and a, and a, a, a steel object or whatever, right? Um, then we look into our electrode handling business and we have the, the no-touch system with that. Um, we, we completely take the, the, the floor, the, the melt shop day guys and, and, and everybody out off the floor and we're doing everything on that with the crane, right? So we're adding stick to the column to be able to uh, continue melting steel, but we do all that through that no-touch system, right? We, we completely take everybody away from that. So there's no human interaction that's required. In it. And I think that helps too, as you know, more companies develop you know, sway control systems and things like that for overhead cranes. You don't have the risk anymore of you know operators or new operators. You know, as they you know, progress into these cranes, they're they're swinging the loads or they're swinging the hooks into. You talking about to smart features, kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as they're controlling the trolley yep. and bridge and yep. things, so there's not so much of a swing of the, the load block, right? Mm -hmm. You're able to smoothly control how you hoist into something and pick up something and control that load wherever you're taking. Yeah, especially with the cranes, right? So that was another thing that we used to do and we, we still do with Mozilla is, um, you know, we have no fly zones where we can actually take uh, an object. If you have a building or if you just wanted a temporary object, right, we can make the crane you can run the crane as fast as you want and it gets to a certain point that'll actually slow down and stop um, until you go around it, right? We can make that permanent or temporary, um, what, uh, anti-snag, right? So that's a big thing in the automotive industry. Um, you know, they, they leave the slings uh, attached to the dies, unfortunately, sometimes, and then they go to bridge and they'll actually flip it over. So once you get to a certain degree of side pull or side load, on the on the crane, it shuts it off. So yeah, there's all kinds of smart stuff out there for that. I think, I think one of the coolest things too that we've come up with is that electrode adding process. I mean, yeah. being a, being a former steel producer, we probably you know used to climb on top of the furnaces. Uh, you know, you're, you're on top of a three thousand degree oven, basically making steel. Uh, you did your ads on top of the furnace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we first started and. You know, you're walking that narrow arm, carrying a chain wrench, and you're flying in a 3,000 pound electrode hanging over your head, screwing yes. it together with a chain wrench. Yep. Hey, Chris, you know? what, what were you tied off to? <laughs> you couldn't even spell tie. <laughs> you know, and, and, but it was the process, right? Right. That's I how mean, you it, did it's, it. It's, it. It wasn't that we were circumventing anything. It was just that that's the way it was done. And that yep. was, and it's, you know, when we, I can remember going to the first, when we, the early automation or early robots, uh, everybody complained about the additional time, right? The yeah. first, oh, it's taking me, we used to be able to run up there and add a stick in two and a half minutes and be down, power back on. Now it's taking us four and a half. Well, it's like anything else in the steel industry, right? You work with it enough, you get the time stamp. That's and right. not only that, I mean, the, the potential for injuries, I mean, think. I think I know twice I tore rotator cuffs and shoulders but jerking on wrenches and sand buckets before we had automation. So yeah. think about what that would have saved, right? Yeah, exactly. What if it would have been the, the last tear? Yeah. Right? We wouldn't have been able well, to use that arm again, I, right? And mm -hmm. that's, the, that's what I think the focus is, is we can't. It, 
Forget about making sure that you know, it's, it's people. And at the end of the day, it's people driven. So if you would have lost that arm, you know, what about grabbing your, your wife or your grandkids or something like that, right? You lose that ability. So making sure that we gain that opportunity back without uh, having that risk out there is, is huge. Yeah, and then you, you, you also look at the simple fact, it makes guys more aware of their job when they're having to run that piece of or operate that piece of equipment. They're not as complacent as they were in the past. I mean, unfortunately, one of the last electrode additions I made on top of the furnace, we were sent out there with the power still off. So, I mean, you're talking about what? 34,500 <laughs> volts, it's live coming in. And miraculously, neither one of us were hurt, but you know, Unfortunately, people get complacent in a routine. Mm -hmm. If they're running that equipment, or if that equipment is basically running itself, yeah. guiding itself, you take that potential hazard out. You eliminate that. Yeah. So, well, what you mentioned is something that it has been more of a known now within the crane and steel and you know businesses is tough and fall restraint and fall rescue mm -hmm. systems and things like that. You know, yep. Years ago, you said you wouldn't really see a, a harness, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're starting to see cranes and things like that becoming, you know, sold within packages of ensuring that we have, you know, horizontal lifelines and things like that with them. So as you know that, you know, maintenance team members and operators and things like that, as they board them, they have that ability. Like I said, when I started, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, to get a, to get a harness was, they're like, you know, why do you, why do you want one of those? You was, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but now try and try and go four over four foot off the ground and and have somebody oh. see you. Yeah, I dare in you. a mill. Yes. I dare and you. See yes. what happens, right? I mean, now four foot off the ground, and they're like, what are you doing? Get out of my mill. You know what I mean? You got to be tied off. What are you doing? So, yeah, and it's it's so funny. I mean, things that we all kind of didn't think about. You know, just simple stuff. I mean, uh, the 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 apparel that we wear, the, the, the yeah. PPE that we wear. I mean, we, we laugh because back in the day, we didn't have those options. I mean, yeah, you had a hard hat and a jacket, but you didn't wear FR clothing. You yeah. didn't have any of that stuff. It was just, but that, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the, the focus shifting back to taking care of your people. Mm -hmm. And that becomes the cost associated. It's a whole lot easier to keep them safe and healthy than it is to pay for an accident. Yeah. Right? Well, we have cardinal rules now, right? Yeah, we have. Yeah. That we train our team members on, so you don't have that ability anymore. You know, if you do break that that four foot rule, you're gone, right? There's no question whatsoever, right? right? If you do certain things, if you cross overhead crane, you know, um, guardrail systems, right? That's a cardinal rule. You're no longer employed. You know, some of those things that are you know put in motion now deters us away from taking that that shortcut and trying to speed that time back up that you know, we think in our mind we're losing, but we're not actually losing. Right. Well, part of that has to do with, they want to make sure that the consequences are severe enough that that you understand they know they care about you. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? I don't, don't think that it's, they don't want you to not be safe, or they don't want you to be safe because they're worried about their numbers. I know we said that earlier as far as kind of what brought that around nowadays, but the bottom line is, is, is they want to make it severe enough that you understand that when you do that, it is it, the end result or the consequences that can be involved in that are so much worse than 
you know, anything else that yes. if you screw around and you do this, that's that's that card rule. You're gonna you're gonna get kicked out of here. Yeah, you right. need yeah you need to get out before something actually happens to you yes, because right. obviously you don't exactly yeah. your own and safety. Not, and it's and it becomes like you said. Then it's it's the focus is not hey you're gonna make us look bad. Is we're we're gonna prevent you from yeah tragically harming yourself or or, or anyone losing else. your life. Yeah, yeah, and it's to preventative. So what are some of the barriers that might be there for uh, some steel mills starting to adopt new technology? I know that historically steel mills have been kind of slower adopters of technology. So what are some of the barriers and what can, how can people help push past those? I would say from my experience, it, a lot of it surrounds cost, right? When you start getting into some of the older facilities, trying to upgrade them or modernize them to the, the ways that we are, are, are facing now is quite difficult right? because you're talking an exuberant amount of money that has to be you know, projected out into a, you know, a billion dollar facility. So how do you do that in waves, right? Because we can't just come up with a billion dollars and say, here you go, you know, let's just upgrade all these cranes or upgrade this furnace or upgrade these meal stands or what, right? But I think a lot of it surrounds what you mentioned earlier was you know, procedures and policies and going back to the training. You know, ensuring that we put some formats in place to kind of mitigate some of those things right. and train against them until we can slowly project that money where it needs so, to go. So tell, tell everybody real quick, what's, what's some of the things you implemented as far as training at Everest? So well, we went down the, the route of having a virtual reality uh, crane simulator, mm -hmm. which I think is a great resource and tool to have. Um, and we started using it to gauge some of our operators as they were coming on board to become qualified crane operators where, you know, the, the virtual reality simulator with IXI has a uh, scorecard. Uh, to me, similar to Amazon, right? You'll get a one, two star, three star type deal um, as you go through each course. And I think it relates to the team members that we have as a younger generation in the workforce, right? They understand the electronics, they understand the games. So it's relatable. But uh, yeah, as you go through each course, you're able to, to train on it. It gives you a score to say you're at a one star, two star, three star. And as you pass on, right, you go to the, the harder or more strenuous type crane operations. And I think it's proven tremendous results for sure. Now, are you still doing um, like hands-on operator training too? Yes. Um, so we do have like a uh, daily course of cranes and rigging that we developed with ITI as well, that um, goes through, you know, overhead crane you know, inspections, what are some of the hazards, you know, what are some of the things to look for, and, um, you know, how we could be better at operating these dangerous assets. So are you, are you guys doing that with everyone or just, just the crane operators? Well, I think back to what I said, you know, with a slow progression, so we tackled first all of the new hire operators. Okay. And then we went into the maintenance personnel. Um, as we've seen, that was the risk we, you know, we were not covering, making sure some of our maintenance personnel that, that dealt with because these Because they're going to use the cranes during yeah. a downturn or what? Okay, okay. More than we realize, right? Maintenance, yeah. maintenance touches them a lot more than we think. Right. So we started going after some of them and slowly, you know, obtaining some of those previous operators that have been out there for quite some time. So it's just been a, a, a multi-front effort on getting some of these guys, the hands-on and the virtual reality and classroom training that uh, they, they deserve. Is that gonna be a, 
a one-time thing or is that going to be an annual or semi-annual or we've discussed like an annual type basis. annuals just doing refreshers and everything absolutely all right cool what do you think uh the future steel mill is going to look like you know wow 10 15 25 years from now well, automation, automation, it, automation. Yes. If you look at it historically across the board, right? You had an integrated mill, which is as big as a city, right? Literally, it's a city block. There are more. I, I, the one mill that I worked at for a while, it was, you pull in the contractor's gate, it was almost two miles to get to the furnace area. So, I mean, integrated mills were huge. And then in the late 80s, early 90s, you came into the, the mini mill Right. And 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 that kind of shrunk that whole process down to where instead of employing, you know, 10,000 people, you had, you know, 500 mm-hmm. to now you're at a micro mill. Micros. Yeah. And the micro mills, they're very, very specific, very focused on producing just what they need out the door. Um like I said, it, it's smaller and smaller and smaller. But I think a lot of that has to do with what you just said, Chris, and that's the automation and everything that is being improved upon as far as the equipment. Yeah, and AI is going to be huge. I mean, you look at some of the, you know, that without getting into, you know, really specifics, but there's companies out there that that tie in. I mean, everything. It's like we were talking about with the with the operational. Issues. I mean, they tie everything together. It's, it's going to become so op, uh, automated that um, you, know, you obviously you can never do away with the people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but it's going to become very um, targeted, very specific. A lot of this stuff is 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 machine learning. All these programs that are coming out now, operational wise. Yeah. I mean, you can go in. There's a couple of shops I know now that we were kind of joking about. If you guys lost your automation, could you still operate? Do you have the people or the knowledge? Could you still operate? No. Typically, the answer is we probably could, but we're not going to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. it's and, and that's a good thing. I mean, it's from a safety factor, but also from an efficiency factor. I mean, it's it's going to become automation is just that that's the way it's, it's going to be. And like Jim spoke to, a lot of these mills too are becoming they're very targeted in the in the markets that they're going after product-wise and logistics-wise. They're putting these mills in yeah. for specific reasons, specific locations, and targeting certain markets. How many, do you know how many acres Everest has? Oh, oh. I couldn't tell you the acreage. That's huge. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's monstrous. Do you know when it was, when was it started, do you know? The, the mill itself? Yeah. Oh, man. I think we just celebrated our 150th anniversary wow. last year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, the place is massive, right? So that we were just talking about that earlier, uh, it, just just the history that's there, right? Because the one building, you know, yeah. thinking that uh, Carnegie was there, right? Yeah. Back in the day, it was just, like I said, that was just amazing. Sense of pride. I think, yeah. you know, yep. being, you know, involved exactly. with, with stuff like that. And and that's the reason why I'm still in the steel business is, you know, the, the people that you meet and uh, the things that you're around and the, the projects that you get to be involved in are, are things that, you know, touch people and touch families and, you know, could potentially touch generations. And you really Absolutely. think about it. Yeah. 
when I when I when I left the mill and, and went to the crane service company, you know, I, for years I had people asking me, well, you know, I guess you don't miss the mill, and, um, and that was the thing, right? You really didn't miss you. You miss the environment of yeah. the people, right? Yeah, but like I said, steel kind of gets in your blood a little bit, but. Like you just said, the the people is what really drives that that whole culture. It's, it's the get it done kind of attitude. Don't 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 mess with it. Just fix it. Go make steel. Like you said, it, yep. it, it's awesome. Well, you know, well, I think That's, we've all joked about it. Steel industry itself, it's a huge, massive industry, but the family is really small. It's the same yes, group yeah. of guys. Same guys. You just <laughs> they, we rotate, right? I was on the steel side, then I was on electro side. Now. I'm with Mozilla. And once you, and like you made a good point, you get a you get it in your blood, and it's, and it's addictive. You can't get it. It's almost like you can't get away from it because there's never that. You never the, the cool part about these jobs too is is to go see the latest and greatest technology that's coming out. And then of course you you have some facilities where you go back and and it's you know unfortunately they're not upgraded yet, but you can see comparisons and you get to look at everything, but you still get to be a part of the steel industry. And that's really, really cool. Pride. It is. Pride. Thank you for joining. So be sure to visit EverazNA.com. That's E-V-R-A-Z-N-A.com. And as always, you can get a hold of myself, Jim, Chris, or any of our other experts at MazellaCompanies.com. Don't forget to pop into our learning center. We have a ton of information there. Subscribe to Safety Factor wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also watch it on the Lifting and Rigging channel on YouTube. My name is Ben. Stay safe out there.